Good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> hey, y'all like that song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder? I like it, too. Uh, they did it at 8.15, and I really liked it. And they did it at 9.30, and I really liked it. And then they did it at 11, and I got really hungry. <laughs> that was a bad... Y'all like, like bad jokes. All right. <laughs> I'm in good shape. All right. So I'm going to read today our scripture from uh, Mark 8. I'm going to be in verse 27. I'm going to read through from, uh, from 27 to 32, uh, and then we're going to go back into scripture in a little bit. So if you've got your Bibles, this is um, the ESV version. Um, before I do that, let me tell you how I started my morning. Uh, I woke up at 6 a.m., I read through my notes one last time, and I, I prayed this prayer. I said, God, I did my part, um, and now it's up to you. So please take the words I'm going to say and, and do something special with them, because on my own, they're not special. So here's our scripture, Mark 8, 27. It says, and Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Who do you say that I am? Whoa. That's like a really big question. And I also feel like it's kind of an awkward question. If I came up to one of you after service and you say, let's say your personal space is about here and I got to you about right here, <laughs> who do you say that I am? Well, first you'd back up and be like, you had one too many cups of coffee. <laughs> and you might say, ah, you're that dorky guy that hangs out with the youth group all the time. Is that who you are? So it's an awkward question, and it's also a really bold question. I, I have this image of Jesus, I don't know if you have this image of Jesus, where he was probably really comfortable in his own skin, probably like really good at making eye contact with people, and here he is asking, who do you say that I am, and ready for the answer. And in my job, I get to give people feedback a lot, and what I've learned is people really don't like to hear about themselves and hear feedback. Uh, you'll say something really nice, and they'll be like, oh, shucks, no, that's not me. Or you'll say something constructive to try to help them do better, and they're like, no, well, that's not true. That's not what I was trying to do. So people really don't like feedback. So who do you say that I am? It's an awkward question. It's a bold question. And on the surface, it feels like an easy question. Uh, when Laura said, chapter 25, the story, Jesus, Son of God, I thought, oh, that's easy. I can do that. Um, Tracy and I will joke in youth groups sometimes that no matter how hard the question is, Jesus is always the answer. So we'll ask something really obscure to be like, what type of stone were the tabernacle walls made out of? <laughs> yeah, and Jimmy will shoot his hand up in there and be like, Jesus. <laughs> okay, Jimmy, the walls are made out of Jesus. Like, yeah, just think about it. <laughs> think about it. Right. Um, so who do you say that I am? It seems like an easy question, and it's, it's difficult for me um, and I've got 2,000 years of Christian theology to pull from. 
I've got 30 plus years in the church. I've got a family of pastors and I have a Google search engine. Like this is how I start, seriously, this is how I start every sermon. I go, who is Jesus? Question mark, search. That's how I do it. But imagine if it's hard for me, it's difficult for me to answer. Imagine how the disciples were feeling. Um, Here they have thousands of years of, of Jewish history and a way of coming to expect how a rescuer would arrive. Um, They had leaders and judges and kings that God would call and rise up and literally would conquer nations, literally would conquer lands, physically would establish kingdoms um, on the earth. And so who do you say that I am? I imagine this was really tough for them to answer because they don't yet know what kind of king this is and what kind of kingdom there will be. Who do you say that I am? Peter tries to answer this question. If you were here when we did our series on the disciples, you'll remember that um, Peter was front row Peter. He was raise your hand first Peter. And so Jesus asked this question, who do people say that I am? And his hand shoots up in the air and he's like, teacher, 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 you're the Messiah. Woo, you're Christ. And I bet you he was feeling kind of proud of himself, like looking back at John and Andrew and James, be like, where's he going to get my gold star? I'm getting it, you know. But that's not what happened. Um, Peter, as right as his answer was, he was getting it wrong. So I'm going to go back into scripture for this. And he began to teach, son of man, suffer many things, rejected by the elders, killed, rise again in three days. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. There's an exclamation point. (laughs) For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. While we don't get in the scripture what Peter's specific rebuke was, um, I think the context of this story can help us understand what he might have been saying in that no moment. So the first is to think about this chronologically. Um, We're on the road to Caesarea Philippi, and this is sometime after the feeding of the 5,000. So if you can imagine, the disciples are probably starting to feel a little bit of momentum. There's been all these wonderful works. Um, The crowds are getting bigger. There's whispers about who this guy is. And it's in the middle of this moment that Jesus says, no, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. This is a little bit of a silly example, but this one, she likes to get kind of locked into a movie, and she'll be watching her movie, and we'll go, baby, baby girl, it's time to go take a shower. Let's go right now. And this freaks her out, freaks her out. She's like, what? No, movie, good, shower, bad. <laughs> and so what do we do as good parents? We start to lay these little um, seeds to get her ready. So we'll go sweetie honey. So in about five minutes, I'm going to set a timer on the clock and we're going to set it. When that thing goes ding, we're going to let your movie finish and then you're going to get into the shower. Is that going to be okay with you? And we try to ease the transition as best as we can. I think this is where Peter is. Um, Peter is on his iPad and he's like locked into the screen and he's playing a really cool app. You should download it called Kingdom Builder. And he's like swiping and doing this. And Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. And he's like, no, we're building a kingdom here. And so I can feel a little bit of empathy for where Peter's coming from, and Jesus rebukes him, rebukes him quickly. So chronologically, it can help to understand, and I, I, have to, I have to sidebar just a little bit here. 
Because I think where Peter fails, sometimes we can fail too, in that the ministry or the activity of what we're doing can start to feel like the important thing, the thing that we're doing, and we forget about what the purpose is. And I'm guilty of this. I hang out with the youth, and I'm having a good time, and we're just being together. And that's the activity, right? The purpose, if you take a step back from it, is we're trying to go grow good young Christian men and good young Christian women. Amen? And even just the other day, I was, I was praying on this this morning and feeling guilty because I was out in Houston and somebody um, asked me, like, where do you go to church? And I said, Bee Creek United. I said, well, tell me about it. It's a beautiful campus, beautiful view. You used to be able to see the lake, beautiful music, wonderful people. What did I not say? Bee Creek is a place where imperfect people can come experience the perfect love of God, be transformed, and change the world together. That's purpose, not activity, not ministry. So who do you say that I am? Peter's trying to answer this question based on his previous experiences, and again, he got the words right, you're the Christ. But his heart wasn't in the right spot. Um, so let's take this um, geographically they're on the road to Caesarea Philippi, and what you ought to know about Caesarea Philippi is it's a, a, a non-Jewish city. And by this time, the disciples are aware of what their mission is, is to take the gospel message to both the Jews and the Gentiles. And they're marching into Caesarea Philippi to do God's work, to do Jesus' ministry, and they would get there and they would see a coin, the coin of Caesarea Philippi. On one side, if you looked at it, you'd see an image, the face of Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus, like the first emperor of Rome, the founder of the Roman Empire, the same Caesar Augustus who used to refer to himself as Divi Filius, which is the Latin word son of God. So this is the context in which Peter is answering the who do you say that I am question. And if you took that coin on the front side, Caesar Augustus, turned it over, you'd see a picture of, of Herod Philip. Herod Philip, yes, the son of Herod the Great. The same Herod the Great that in the, Christi uh, the Christmas story was so terrified of Jesus' birth that he sent an army to kill all the males two years and under around Bethlehem. This is the same Herod Philip who was married to Salome, the dancing girl who called for John the, ba John the Baptist's head on a plate. So in this context, Jesus is asking, Peter, who do you say that I am? They're marching down the road. They're going to save the Gentiles. They're going to take on the bad guys. And so I can feel, again, a little bit of empathy for where Peter's coming from. He got the words right, but missed the spirit. So Peter misses the point, and Jesus clarifies. And let's look further into Scripture here. I'm going to be in um, 33 and go through 37. And it says, get behind me, Satan, uh, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
For who is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Who do you say that I am? Let's think about Caesar Augustus again. Can you picture that coin with me? And let's read that verse 36 again. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Who do you say that I am? Remember, I said this was a bold question. It also got a really bold response. Who do you say that I am in a message? Some people walk around with an image of Jesus, and it's the one with the gentle eyes and the the long hair and the sandals and the flowing robe. Weak Jesus or hippie Jesus? Now, I promise you I'm not criticizing hippie Jesus. I love hippie Jesus. But what I'm telling you is that we have to be really careful about defining Jesus on our terms by the paintings we see. Because if we look too closely at the facts that make sense to us, those facts begin to harden into a mirror, and all we end up seeing is ourselves. So who do you say that I am? I started the idea of this talk that I was going to approach it really rationally. And as I studied this story, read the scripture, read some other sermons, I was thinking I was going to do this like two plus two equals Jesus talk. I was going to spell it all out for you. I was going to read the history books to you. And what I started to become more intrigued by was just the power of the question, the depth of the question, and how I would answer it myself. So I'm going to do that quickly, two things. Um, Who do you say that I am? And first, I'm going to answer that by saying Jesus is my connection. And the second way I'm going to answer that is Jesus is my peace. So who do you say that I am? First, he's my connection. In Youth Confirmation, week one, we do this kind of fundamental, basic activity. And what we do is we ask the youth to draw a picture of God. Picture God in your mind. Think about him real hard. Markers, crayons, glue, glitter, whatever you want. Draw a picture of God. And it's such a simple activity, but it's a kind of punch-in-the-gut kind of activity. And what's interesting is they'll all draw a really similar image. Some will draw an old dude with a big beard and in a throne and with a whatever. And then uh, the other picture will be hands. Hands seem to get drawn quite a bit. So there will be a cloud and a hand coming through the cloud, or they'll draw a picture of the world and the hands kind of cupping the world. And maybe one or two will draw a cross. It was about a year ago, um, I was listening to this podcast, one of my most favorite ones, and there was an interview with a Jewish scholar. And he admittedly said, I'm going to give you this oversimplification about the images of God. And there's two. Um, The first he called the God in the air. And so imagine with me, if you will, or look behind me, a little tiny circle in in the ground, and that's you. And then way up above your head is this big, giant circle, and maybe so big that you can't even see the edges of it. That image is God. And then he said there's a second image. This is the one he called the image of God all around. So imagine with me, Will, or or look back here. There's a a circle again, and that little circle again is you. But this time, the big circle that is God is all around us. And there's a problem 
really with both of these, and I don't mean problem like it's wrong or there's a challenge, it's just more of a problem like the math problem, that in both of these images there's separation. And really throughout the story in the Old Testament, we've been talking about the separation between um, God, on the, uh, God in the air and how through all the works that the Jewish people did, climbing a ladder, making sacrifices, um, not eating bacon, um, wearing certain clothes, the thing on there, they were trying to climb to the God in the air. And the God all around really is a more comforting one, and I think in this generation particularly that we can feel connected to, especially when we look out here at our view, and we're playing that last song, and we just feel it, or you stand at the base of an ocean, and you know you're part of something much bigger and much more beautiful than yourself. Well, here's, here's the problem, is that even in that beauty and the feeling of there's some kind of connection, you can start to feel a little lost in a really big bowl of beautiful soup. And I know I'll own this. For me, when I'm starting to feel that, that lost, I try to lead myself. And what I'm going to tell you is I make for a terrible Jesus, a terrible Jesus, I try every day to be a good Christian, every single day, and every single day I fail. I try every day to be a good husband, and every single day I fail. I try every day to be a good daddy to my girls, and every single day I fail. I'm 34 now, and I could not go back to my 24-year-old self and say, you're awesome. You're going to lead your way out of this. And I know at 44, I'm not going to be able to go back to 34 and be like, you're awesome. You're going to be able to lead yourself out of this. And so who do you say that I am? Number one, Jesus is my connection and he's my leader. Number two, Jesus is my peace. So I got to talk to you about my sister, my sister Trina was eight years older than me. She is eight years older than me. Um, she moved out of the house and got married when she was 18. Dads, can you imagine the fury of moving out of the house when you're 18 and getting married? Um, they're still together, wonderful. And um, so because we were so far apart, I was 10 when she moved out, and we didn't get really close as kids, but now, I mean, super close. She's, she's fun, and she's funny. She's light. She's that kind of light, like when you open the refrigerator door at 2 a.m. She's that kind of light. And about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, uh, the doctors found a tumor uh, on Trina's lung. And what they ended up finding is that this was cancer, she ended up talking to four different doctors. And the thing you got to know about Trina is that she did all the right things. She's never smoked a cigarette in her life. I don't think she's tried a beer. She's a pastor's wife. She's a godly woman. She leads women's ministry. She's done everything right. And I was so mad, like really, really angry. It didn't make sense. I didn't understand it. I couldn't add up the math on it. And not only does she have this cancer, but it's this rare, okay, so here's her lung, and here's this tumor, 
and there's nerves all along the base of her spine, and it's kind of all woven into that. And the doctor who diagnosed it says, not only do I not know what to do about it, I don't even know how to, who to refer you to. And so she's lost in the soup. And so my sister, a woman who believes in the power of prayer, she took to Facebook. She's got about 300 friends, and she said this. She said, I have cancer. I know I'm not going to lead myself out of this. I know I'm not the point. I believe in a Jesus who heals. And I trust him. I trust him. So it's Ash Wednesday of this year. And she finds the right doctor eventually. And they're going to do a robot surgery. Like he's got joysticks, a Game Boy in the back. And the rubber robot. And uh, we were joking about that. And the crazy thing, the second doctor, her family doctor who diagnosed it, woke up in the middle of the night. I couldn't sleep. I prayed for you. And I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know God's in it. And I don't know how all these other people were praying on Facebook. Like some people go, my thoughts and prayers are with you. And I think they say, like, you're my thoughts, because if you don't like prayers, thoughts are good, too. And some people I know were on their hands and knees and faces, weeping, praying for my sister. That's not how I was praying. I was praying like Peter. I was rebuking God. I was saying, this does not make sense. She can't die. It doesn't make sense. And I got the call about 5 p.m. on Ash Wednesday. And it was my other sister, Teresa, and she, here's what she said happened. The robot guy got in there. And the first thing they did is they deflated her lung. Here's this tumor. And as the lung deflates, the tumor just separates from where they thought it was attached. And in a matter of seconds, they snip the entire thing out. They put it in a pan put cancer test stuff on it, it's not cancer. I don't understand it. I don't know how the math problem works. I don't know why I deserve that, why she deserved that. And after a couple of days passed, we had some time to just kind of decompress. I was talking to Trina and I said, I don't know what to make of this. I I don't know whether to say, thank God all your doctors were wrong, or praise God, you showed us your power. And here's what she said. She said, I don't know either. She said, I don't understand it. Here's the thing. Only thing I know, God not, God's not done with me yet. So who do you say that I am? My sister before, living her life as a godly woman, had incredible peace. During diagnosis, terrified, had incredible peace. After, uncertain, no idea why, had incredible peace. Who do you say that I am? There's lots of ways to answer this question. 
healer, teacher, prophet, radical, poet, social reformer, good guy, great storyteller, hippie. I told you I started this with this idea that I was going to approach it rationally, I was going to approach it historically. And so I came across this piece, um, some historical writings that were found. And it's by a guy named Josephus. Uh, just an itsy-bitsy bit of backstory on Josephus. He was a Jewish guy who, during one of the Roman-Jewish conflicts, decided, these Jews are going down, I'm out. And he sided with the Romans, and he became a history keeper. And while there's definitely some debate about the authenticity of this text, some people will say all the theologians got a hold of it and twisted it all around. There's this part, the stripped-down part, that there's general agreement um, that was accurate. Here's what it reads. It says, Now there was about this time Jesus, a wise man, for he was a doer of startling deeds, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. And he gained a following both among many Jews and many of Greek origin. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men among us, amongst us, condemned him to the cross, those that loved him at first did not forsake him. And the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct at this day. I love that last little bit. Do you love that last little bit? Not extinct at this day? Jesus began this conversation with his disciples with a simple question. Who do other people say that I am? That's what Joseph, Joseph has said. And then he quickly turned the conversation to, who do you say that I am? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift of your son. We don't get it, we don't understand it, we know we're part of this mystery, and we don't know what we deserve to be part of it. But what we believe in coming here with us, this is first time, thousands time, coming here is a statement of belief that you sent him to us because you so loved the world. So how many ever times we've asked that question, if this is my first time to ask that question, God, just give us clarity, give us peace. If I've asked that question at 24, at 34, at 44, at 54, at 64, and at 74, help us to go just a little bit deeper. Show us who he is. Jesus, help us to see you as you, who you were at that time, who you are in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.